Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Welcome everyone to another episode of Business Black Belts. I'm David Golding and I have the pleasure of being with David Newman from Do It Marketing. And David is also the host of the Selling Show podcast. So it's great to be with a fellow podcaster. How are you today, David? I'm great, Dave. Nice to be here. Good to be here as well with you. Um, Let's just start at the beginning. Let's talk uh, a little bit about you. Well... Man, oh man, early days were a complete disaster. So like, like many folks in entrepreneurship, I started out having a respectable day job. And I had a corporate consulting career about 10 years, 1992 to about 2002, uh, doing internal consulting with big companies, training, seminars, workshops, that kind of thing. January 1st, 2002, I figured I, I know how to do this. I know how to consult. I know how to do a seminar. I know how to give a speech. I know how to do a training workshop. How hard can it be? And Dave, I found out how hard it can be. Because at that point, as you well know from all of your sales expertise, it is not about doing the work. It is about selling the work. And I was terrible at all of it. I had no idea about prospecting. I had no idea about lead generation. I made every mistake in the book. I made the good ones twice, and it was a real, real struggle. I mean, if I could, if I could characterize this as a train wreck, I think that would be kind. <laughs> That's so good. I, I, yeah, I love the fact that uh, you obviously um, are willing to talk about how hard it is, right? Because um, selling is incredibly difficult. Entrepreneurship is incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think as humans, we have a tendency to kind of look at the other person and oversimplify what their life must be like, right? Um, assign all of our judgments and think, oh, he's really got it together. When in fact, we're all just on the road from white belt to black belt. Um, yes. So you started your own company uh, in 2002. Uh, what's the road been like since you went out on your own? Well, so literally, when I say first three years were a trainer, I'll I'll throw some metrics at you. Yeah. Uh, My very first client, I was doing, it was a referral and it was an introduction. And it was like, oh, this is David Newman. He does workshops and training and things. So that was the quality of the referral. And so it was this um, commercial real estate company. And the commercial real estate company says to me, well, we actually could use a time management workshop. Do you do time management? And at that point, I was like, listen, is there a check? If there's a check, I'll do whatever. I, you know, I'll go to the library. I'll go read some books on time management and boom, there's your workshop. So I literally, Dave, I had no niche. I had no target market. I had no specialization of any kind. People would say, oh, you're a professional speaker. What do you speak on? And I say, no, 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 you don't understand. What do you need spoken on? I'm going to go read some books and then boom, there's your instant workshop or or training day. I mean, it was completely reactive. It was a complete disaster. Anyway, so I said yes to time management. They said, well, how much would you charge? And I was like, oh, that's a good question. And I'm like, $900. So... They paid me $900. I have no idea where that number came from. It just probably popped in my head. 
And so my first gig was $900. And then the problem was, I don't think I got another check for about another year. That was my only client year one was $900. (laughs) And I was networking my face off. I was creating content. I was going thither and yon everywhere and anywhere that I could possibly go. Um, You know, networking down at the chamber, all the crazy nonsense that we're told that we have to do. And so finally, uh, it just became so bad that I was spending money. I I remember my very first, one of my first things I spent money on, uh, stationery. Stationery, letterhead, envelopes, business cards. $3,000. I paid a graphic designer. It was on this beautiful, heavy paper. You've seen the paper. It's very exciting. And I was like, so let's let's do the math on this. David's first and only client for 12 months, $900. That's in the plus column. The first thing I spend the first week of January 2002, $3,000 out, $900 in. I was literally, by, by year two, I was $40,000 in credit card debt. I had a negative business. It wasn't like a break-even business. It was a costing-me-money business, which for those of you listening, that's called a hobby. That is <laughs> called a hobby. That's not called a real business. Yep. So naturally, I was like, okay, I have to figure out this sales thing because if I don't figure out this sales thing, I'm going to have to go back on the inside and get a J-O-B. So I became a student of sales. I read every book. I hired some sales coaches. I hired some mentors. And Dave, it's funny when, you know, you and I are both in the kind of professional services selling business. The number one thing I learned now in hindsight is no one does anything great alone. If you're listening to this and you think, well, I don't need help. I don't need to hire anyone. I don't need to go to Veth Group and see what they have going on, how they can help me with all these things. I'm telling you, you are wrong. You are leaving money on the table by not investing in people who know what they're doing, who can, who've been where you've been, who know how to get out of it, who know how to fix it. But I was so pigheaded. I was so stubborn. Uh, it was ego. It was my ego that was getting in the way that I should be able to figure this out on my own. I'm smart. I'm capable. When I was inside, and how many times have we heard this too? When I was inside in corporate, I knew how to do this, this, and this. The entrepreneurial world, my friends, completely different. So we've had people even in our program, they're the number one salesperson for AT&T. They're the number one salesperson for some other professional services company. They hang out their own shingle and they're so frustrated and they're so confused because it doesn't work on the outside the way it used to work on the inside. And they're wondering, what's wrong with me? I should be able to figure this out. But they're playing a completely different game. It's like, you were awesome at tennis, and now someone puts you on a football field. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the game of selling, right? You, you've obviously, uh, you know, in or- when you turned things around, you made an investment. And in particular, you came to the conclusion uh, that no one does anything alone. And I love that, right? Because I think, uh, you know, again, when, when I have failed, it's usually because I've been trying to carry too much or I thought I knew too much or, you know, I was just uh, not asking for help. So let's talk a little bit about what you figured out when you figured out sales. Well, it's so funny because in the, my, the, the light bulb moment, 
came when I was thinking back to all of my colleagues and leaders and managers inside these big consulting firms. And what was the DNA strand that they all shared? And we're talking about like managing partners at these big consulting firms, right? Multi six figure salaries and bonuses and stock options and all kinds of crazy things. And I was thinking back to each and every one of them. And I was like, you know, they are constantly giving favors and asking people for favors internally, right? So one managing partner would ask another managing partner, hey, could you help me out with this? Hey, what's a good resource for this? Hey, could I borrow Karen to work on this project? Hey, could I get Steve's help on, on this spreadsheet? And they were constantly asking for help. So the light bulb moment that occurred to me is what is the indicator of a highly successful person, the person who asks for help often and, and without hesitation? And what's the hallmark of someone who is uh, not doing so well? It's the person who does not ask for help or who re refuses to ask for help or who thinks asking for help is a sign of weakness. And when I really thought back, I was like, oh my God, this was their superpower. Their superpower in the corporate world was they were constantly asking for help and they were constantly exchanging favors and, hey, I have this superpower. Could you lend me your superpower? And this was just a huge light bulb moment. And when this started to happen, and I'm not saying I went out and I hired all these expensive coaches and mentors and bought all these programs because that came later. There was free help, Dave, that I wasn't taking. There were friends, there were mentors. I had multiple people who were extremely successful, independent consultants, and they would say, David, how's it going? What can I do for you? How can I help you? Who would you like to meet? Who would you like to be introduced to? And my answer, because I was a dummy, is, oh no, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need anything. Hey, thanks for asking, man. I'm good. And I was so far from good that it was a ridiculous joke. But my ego kept me from saying, you know what? I would love some help in this area. I would love to be introduced or connected to this kind of person. Is there anyone that you know that might give me some advice on this area or this problem or this challenge or this opportunity? And it was free help that I was turning down. It was low-cost help. It was medium-priced help. It was expensive help. It was any kind of help because of this silly notion I should be able to figure it out on my own. And when I realized, like, wait a minute, the most successful people, not, not the most unsuccessful people, the most successful people are the ones that are the first to ask for help because they know what their superpowers are and they know what their kryptonite is. So getting, getting out of your own gosh darn way was a huge entrepreneurial leap. Mm. Yeah, so once you made that leap, what happened? Well, then I started to figure some stuff out. And I think this is also, this also goes to the mantra that we end up teaching what we ourselves most need to learn. So it's like looking back on my first three years of business, I am the last human being on the planet that you should take marketing and sales advice from. Uh, after having written two books and having had some good success, a multi-seven-figure success, fast forward to today, I always tell people, I said, listen, if I can do it, coming from where I came from, being so dumb, so blind, so, so stubborn, and so egotistical 
that I refused to ask for help. I didn't learn. I didn't reach out. Uh, I, I didn't get uh, access to the help and the mentors that I really needed. And this is like, I think every, every successful person will have some version of this story. When I started to invest in myself, meaning hiring the right coaches and the right mentors and the right professional service providers, my business started to leapfrog. So we crossed over 100K per year. Then we crossed over 250K per year because I took my business from one-on-one to group. Then from 250K per year to 500K per year, we did that with having digital programs and online courses. Then we went from 500K years to seven-figure years. And we did that with a team because you can't do all of these things yourself. At some point, you got to simplify, hire, delegate, outsource, bring other people in to supplement and complement your skill set so that, you know, one plus one equals 10, not just, hey, I'm a single shingle guy doing whatever I can do. That's when we started to separate uh, the time for money, right? The time for money trap is like you're basically building yourself a job. You're not really building a business. The definition of a business in my book, a business will continue to make money when you're on vacation. A business will continue to make money, God forbid you're sick for a couple of weeks. That business's revenue generating ability has nothing to do with your personal time, attention, or presence. If your business does have 100% connection to your personal time, attention, and presence, that means you built yourself a job as an entrepreneur and you don't really have a business because the business is you. So we started to hire a team in 2017. We started to elevate and escalate and be more selective in the kind of clients that we were after. Because here's the other big lesson. And I know, Dave, that you've got some great expertise and that Veth Group has some great you know, uh, resources and wisdom on this. Every client is not the same. Every prospect is not the same. Every sale is not the same. And now, fast forward to what we're teaching our clients today, one of my go-to sound bites is, do not be afraid of the right clients saying no. Be afraid of the wrong clients saying yes. Because when you start doing business with the wrong kind of clients, that is going to just make you crazy. It's going to make your life miserable. These are the people that micromanage. They price shop. They second guess. They resist. They fight you on every piece of advice. They don't show up on calls. They don't respect you. They don't respect your team. Uh, you say jump. They say, I'm not going to jump. The best kind of clients are on the other side of that. And by the way, the best clients always pay more than these kind of nightmare clients. These are the ones that show up high level of respect, high level of expectation, high level of effort. You say jump, they say how high and should I do it twice? I mean, they literally, the very best clients are the lowest demand. They're not demanding. They are a dream to work with. Uh, they are compliant. They listen. They implement. And because of that, they're the clients that get the biggest, best results. And so this whole thing about client selection, client selection is more important than anything in the rest of your business. I would even say that the better you are at client selection, the worse you can be at everything else, including the core service or product that you're selling. If you're selling to the right clients with the right reason, 
It covers a multitude of sins. They'll be amazing to work with. They will get great results because they are a great fit for what you do. And working with non-great fit clients will just drain the energy out of you, drain the energy out of your team. It'll start making you want to kind of hit the snooze button three extra times in the morning where you're waking up in the morning going, uh, another day with these people as opposed to the awesome clients, the people who are able to pay, ready to pay, expecting to pay premium fees, who are expecting amazing results from your partnership, you leap out of bed going, oh my gosh, I can't wait. I can't wait for my first call. I can't wait for my first client meeting. I can't wait for my next sales call. I can't wait for all of it because now everything is lined up with you doing your highest and best work. I love that, David. Um... Miles and I just found ourselves in a situation like that. You know, he's um, gotten to that point where he's had a number of the situations that you just talked about as far as, you know, the clients that just are too challenging and, you know, their expectations um, and just their willingness to invest in the relationship or not invest in it becomes a real problem. And it was really interesting because, uh, you know, he... I was talking with one of these prospective clients and I kind of let him know how it went. And he said, yeah, I just feel like they're not for us, you know? And, um, <laughs> and I just was like, thank God, because, and that's really, you know, he's wise kind of beyond his years. I mean, Miles is 29 years old, right? And, and uh, I think that perspective is so important. Um, so what does a good client look like to you? Or, or, or actually, David, let me ask that a little bit different way because you basically just said what they look like. Um, how do you, uh, in the sales process, how do you, um, how do you tactically go about uncovering that? Because sometimes you know right away, right? You're having a conversation with somebody, and it's just like you know, it doesn't feel right to me. But there's other times where. Um, at least in my experience, if I'm too quick and I'm not as thorough, I can um, not see it coming. Oh my gosh! So so much to unpack there. Um, well, let's talk about let's talk about the last thing, which is we're glossing things over. You have that little spidey sense something's yeah. not quite mm, not quite right, and you can't put your finger on what it is. But hey, there's a check. Hey, there's a check on the other end of this. There's a credit card. These guys have money. They're ready to go. Let's bring them in. Yeah. Every time I have not listened to that spidey sense, I have regretted it. Like in a big, big way. Big way. Like, you know, lawsuits and crying and sadness. Uh, no no real lawsuits, but, but <laughs> crying and sadness. Almost lawsuits, but a lot of crying and a lot of sadness. Um, so how do you tell? How do you uncover? I think every step of the sales process needs to be an audition of some kind. So I don't believe in qualifying and disqualifying. I mean, I do, but there's a much higher level. Because uh, qualifying and disqualifying, you can use a checklist, right? Yeah. It's really auditioning. How coachable are these people? How much do they talk versus how much do they listen? Mm. How open will they be to change? Because no matter what product you're selling, no matter what service you're selling, we are all in the selling change business. If they are stubborn, if they are tied to their old ways and their old values and the old lens through which they see reality, and they're, they're just trying to do more, better, faster of the same, but they're not willing to make some of these foundational shifts. Dave, I know your company 
asks clients to make these foundational transformational shifts in the way they look at their sales and marketing and lead generation. Uh, we certainly do that with our clients as we give them a whole different methodology, training, tools, uh, a whole new lens, if you will, on their reality. So one of the questions I ask is, hey, listen, this is only going to work if you're open to looking at your marketing in a completely different way. Mm. This is only going to work if you're looking at sales and prospecting and lead generation in a totally different way. In fact, it's only going to work if you're willing to look at your entire business in a totally different way. Are you willing to do those three things? And sometimes, because now, of course, sales calls are mostly on Zoom more so than the phone, listen to their words and watch their body language. Because someone can say, oh, yeah, Dave, totally, yes, yes, Dave, I'm totally. And, right, as opposed to are they eager, are they hungry, are they ready, are they committed? So one of the other things that you want to see, and this is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, are they decisive? Are they action takers? Because here's the deal. Some long, drawn-out sales process Automatically, you know, fourth meeting, fifth meeting, 17th meeting, they're not decisive. They're not action takers. They're dreadfully afraid of making any kind of mistake. They are risk averse, right? All of these check marks start to turn red and you're like, I don't think this is for us, right? Just like Miles said, I don't think these, these people are for us. Yeah. Why? Not because of anything that they said or did but because of the way they conducted themselves in the sales process. So our best clients, and maybe it's the same for you, our best clients are eager to jump in. They are ready for change. They're not afraid of the change. They are looking for the change, and they just want to make sure they're doing it with the right partner in the right way at the right reason at the right time. So a long, drawn-out, you know, brutal uh, slogging it out sales process, right away, I know that person's not for me. By mm. the second or third call, I'm willing to say, listen, right? We got to put the in the ways in the way. So you, you say, listen, Barbara, based on our previous three conversations, I really don't think you're ready for this kind of program. Should we just, should we just part friends at this point and let them off the ride? Let them off the crazy carnival ride. If they're a good prospect, if, capital if, they're a good prospect, they will stay in the game with you. Like, no, 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 David, we absolutely want to do this. I know we need this. It's just that we have a little bit of paperwork, a little bit of baggage, a little bit of this. What you're picking up on, yes, it's hesitation, but it's hesitation because we've been burned before. Or it's yeah. hesitation because, you know, this really has to work and our CEO is making absolutely sure that this is the right program, that you're the right partner, that this is really going to work for us. So, I, I call that part of the conversation, that's the conversation about the conversation. And a lot of salespeople are not willing to have the conversation about the conversation because they're afraid, uh, oh, that's going to be impolite. Oh, I don't want to be confrontational. You know, I did, the, it's funny, I did a program for some commercial real estate people. This was about 10 years ago. And I said, what's your sales guy's biggest problems? The sales guys and gals. What is their biggest problem in closing these big commercial real estate deals? And they say, well, a lot of deals get stuck in the pipeline. Can you help us get deals unstuck in the pipeline? And I said, sure, we'll do a whole program on that. And so I show up and we did a whole two-hour session. 
the first thing, the very first thing, I, I, I threw up a slide and I said, okay, how many folks have deals that are stuck in the pipeline? Everyone's hand goes up as, as was promised. And I said, how many of you have gone back to your prospect and said the following? And I clicked the slide and the slide, I didn't say a word. The big, huge text on a big slide behind me. Uh, Bob, I think we're stalled in this sales process. What do you think? And the entire room went like, oh my God, we've never said that. We've never said that to every single deal that is stuck in the sales process is, Bob, I think our deal is stuck in the sales process. What do you think? That's the conversation about the conversation, right? Someone's body language doesn't match their words. Oh no, Dave, we're really excited about moving forward, right? If they deliver it with that kind of dead monotone, I'm going to say, Barbara, I, I, I hate to say this, but based on your tone, I'm not 100% believing in you that, that you're really excited. I said, are you, you know, are, are you giving me the answer that you think I want or are you giving me the honest answer from, the, from our previous conversations? So the meta conversation is another part of the audition, right? You want to make sure that they're not just being polite because here's what happens. If you don't have the meta conversation, this is where prospects disappear. This is where prospects start to go dark on you. They don't answer your calls. They don't show up for the next appointment. They don't answer your emails because the sale died and they just forgot to tell you because you were too polite. You kept the conversation surface level. You took everything at face value. You didn't really probe. You didn't really dig. You didn't really get underneath the objection behind the objection or the question behind the question or the obstacle behind the obstacle. One of the things, for example, that I, my go-to phrase in almost every sales conversation is, uh-oh, uh-oh. They say, well, David, how, how quickly will we make the money back that, that, that we're giving to you? And I go, uh-oh. Well, depending on my answer, this deal could be dead in the water right here. Do you want the real answer or do you want the answer that, that, you, that you, you, you think you want to hear? Because the answer that you think you want to hear is, oh, ROI, we're going to have ROI immediately. 27 minutes from now, you're getting ROI, trust me. And the part of the problem here, Barbara, is that you have been lied to and misled and misinformed about every previous effort that you've made to solve this problem. So would it be okay with you if I'm the only guy who's not lying to your face right now? Like who would say that in a sales call? Yeah. A smart, professional salesperson, right? I could, I could lie to you and win the deal or I could tell you the truth and maybe we solve this problem once and for all. Because you've been buying the lies, you've been buying the quick fixes, you've been putting the band-aids on the bleeding necks and I know it hasn't been working. How do I know it hasn't been working? That's why we're talking, right. right? All the other stuff that you told me you tried, that hasn't worked. So you can either go after the next magic bullet or we can really solve the problem once and for all. Is it going to be harder than the magic bullet? Sure. Is it going to take longer than the magic bullet? Yes. Is it going to be a little bit more expensive than the previous magic bullets that did not work? Probably. So I have a client, for example, Dave, who, who he sells big deals, big six-figure deals, as we sometimes do. And uh, he'll say to a prospect, first meeting, first meeting, he does some good d discovery, finds out what's going on. He says, uh, well, 
based on everything you've shared with me, this is going to be at least a six-figure deal. If that doesn't scare you, let's keep talking. He puts it right on the table. This yeah. is going to be at least a six-figure deal. If that doesn't scare you, let's keep talking. So this is what I mean by auditioning clients, really putting them through, will they be awesome? Will they be amazing? Will they be coachable? Will they be flexible? Will they adapt our solution? Will they be our next success story? And I will sometimes even say this to a prospect. I'm like, I, I don't want to invite you in unless I have a high degree of confidence that you're going to be our next case study success story. I want to see you on video nine months from now or 12 months from now saying David Newman and Do It Marketing completely changed our consulting business. David Newman and Do It Marketing helped us triple our business in 12 months. They helped us do things that we never even thought were possible. But if you're not coachable, if you're not ready, if you're not decisive, if you're not an action taker, you will not be our next case study success story. And then why, why do this at all? Literally, why do this at all? And then the prospect is like, wow, this, this, this sales guy is talking like the real deal here. And I need to qualify them just as much as they're qualifying me. Yeah, I love, you know, what you said there is just so important. First of all, I'm stealing the uh-oh. I love that. Um, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> um, so, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, that qualification process. And I love the, the fact that it is an audition. That's a great analogy. Um, so during that audition, you're obviously looking for somebody who's eager, who's willing, you know, you're... You want to get that, um, you know, the the verbal and the body language. What, you know, w once you have that, what does a good case study client look like for you beyond, you know, the eagerness? Because obviously you can have someone who's really willing and and uh, excited and interested, but there's, I, I would imagine there's more to the audition than that. Yeah, I also think it's a partnership mindset. So I think in sales, you know, we talk a lot. There's a lot of um, um, lip service paid to, we don't have clients, we have partners. We don't have customers, we have partners. We partner with our clients. We partner with our customers. But that partnership needs to be a two-way street, right? So yes, I'm willing to partner with them, but are they also willing to step up and actually do the work? So here's what I also sometimes say, because we're in an advisory coaching and consulting type of business. Uh, so someone starts poking and prodding, will I get this? And will you do that? And does this include so-and-so? And when they start, these are like needy, to me, they sometimes come across as needy or clingy questions. Yeah. I will sometimes call a halt to that. And I will say, well, Barbara, listen, uh, let's clarify something right now. At the end of the day, because we're a consulting and coaching company, at the end of the day, all we do is talk. And then I shut up and I let that sit there for a minute. And she's like, I said, well, let me explain what that means. At the end of the day, all we do is talk. Now, it is incredibly specific talk. It is strategic talk. It is practical talk. It is talk about action steps. It is about exactly what to do and how to do it, exactly what to say and how to say it. We have templates, we have tools, we have scripts, we have frameworks. We're going to give you everything that you need to be successful. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to fly over to your house. 
We're not going to turn on your computer at 7 a.m. We're not going to send the emails for you. We're not going to be on LinkedIn making connections and finding prospects. We're not going to be doing sales calls for you. This is an advisory coaching, mentoring, and consulting relationship. So at the end of the day, all we do is talk. You're the one that needs to take the action. And then I say, does that make sense? She says, yeah, no, I get it. And I say, listen, at the end of six months or nine months or 12 months, your business is going to be transformed. And if that's not the case, one of us is not doing their job and it's not usually me. And that sometimes makes them laugh, right? Because it's like, okay, well, who's the responsibility is with you. So if you don't implement, if you don't show up, if you don't do the work, if you don't follow our methodology training and tools, if you don't deploy our scripts and templates and frameworks, right? One of my favorite go-to phrases, Dave, it is amazing the results you do not get from the work you do not do. And as a professional services seller, we're always in that role of advising, consulting, coaching, guiding, mentoring. Don't go left, go right. When they say X, you say Y. Let's try this campaign. Let's do this strategy. If the client doesn't listen and if the client doesn't implement, you can have the world's best advice, the most amazing magic beans, the most amazing secret sauce. If none of it gets implemented, the client's situation won't improve. And so to kind of zoom out to a planetary level, I will sometimes have to say to a client, at the end of the day, all we do is talk. Are you okay with that? And some get it and some don't. And I've ended some of those phone calls uh, and they say, well, no, actually. I said, so what you really want is you want to either hire a done-for-you sales firm or you want to hire a full-service marketing agency, neither one of which is what we do. So you'll be better served. It, it, like you don't want to get your hands dirty. You don't want to do any work. Well, great. So pay 25,000 bucks a month to this whiz-bang marketing firm. They'll do everything for you. They've got the copywriters. They'll write the sales letters. They'll build the landing pages. They'll create the funnels. They'll do the outreach. They have a whole team of people, but that's going to be 25K a month. You don't need to get your hands dirty, right? There's, there's, so any, any sort of solution, people say, well, is this possible? Or can I do this or can I do that? We're living in a world where if you have enough money, anything is possible. Anything is possible. You just have, have to hire the right resource. So, so sometimes, you know, you kind of have to know the game that you're playing as a consulting firm or a, a, as an advisory firm. If they don't want to get their hands dirty, if they don't want to do the work, that's probably not a good fit client because they're going to be the ones that are the first to complain and, you know, post on social media. Oh, I hired David Newman. David Newman sucks. It was terrible. It was awful. And I'm, I'm equally uh, fervent when I, when I tell someone, I said, listen, if we invite you in, we, we can afford to do a lot of things. The one thing we cannot afford is to have an unsuccessful client. So if you're not going to do the work, let's just part friends. Let's not move forward. Because I don't want the word on the street to be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Oh, yeah, I hired Do It Marketing. Uh, it didn't work for me or uh, I didn't get much out of it. If you didn't get much out of it, the question that I would ask is, did you really ask for what you want? And, you know, were you actually doing the work that you said that you were going to do back when I said, hey, at the end of the day, all we do is talk. 
So that's also my insurance policy in some cases. So six months down the road, yeah, we're not getting the results. Do you remember six months ago when we talked about you signing up? Do you remember the all I do is talk conversation? And then they get real quiet. Oh, yeah. No, I guess part of this is our fault. I get part of this, right? I guess part of this is our fault, meaning all, all of this is our fault because we didn't implement, we didn't do the work, we didn't take the action, we weren't decisive, uh, and, and we, didn't, we didn't implement your advice. So, boy, I mean, that's a rich vein of conversation for any professional services seller, and this is what we try and disqualify early on in that audition process is will they do the work, are they committed, are they going to be taking the actions? Yeah, it's... Um... And that is the hard thing about selling these kinds of services, right? I mean, you obviously um, provide a lot uh, broader set of offerings than us. I mean, you know, we're primarily, um, you know, outbound demand generation, really, you know, like you said, it, there's elements that we do for you, but then there's a lot of other pieces that they have to do, you know, our customers have to do in order to be successful. And, and it's easy to kind of have the blame come back at you. Uh, even when, when, it, when it's not yours. So I think it is important to, to be upfront. How many of these conversations do you have to have until, until someone passes the audition, right? Is it, is it one in 10? Is it, you know, uh, five in 10? How many of the, of the people pass the audition? Uh, you know, so it's funny. This is a great, great question. The more clear you are, I'll tell you what it is in our world, but the teaching point is the more clear you are in all of your marketing about who you work with, who they need to be, what, what they need to do, right? And this is what you're posting on your blog, and this is what your videos are about, and this is what's clearly laid out on your website. You can start to skew so the people that are attracted to you are the ones that are the implementers, the action takers, that are decisive, that are successful and want to be more successful, I think where people struggle with this is they have generic messaging on their website. They have generic, uh, generic messaging in their sales material. They're not really clear on who this is for and who this is not for, who's a great fit, who's not a great fit, because they're afraid, like, oh, we're going to leave money on the table. We have to make this appealing to everyone, and now we're auditioning every Tom, Dick, Harry, and Jane and some of those are not a fit and some of them are a fit and some are whatever. So the more clear you are and the more assertive you are and even the more bold you are in your marketing language, that's automatically going to repel people so they never even book a call. They never even call you. They never even come into your funnel. They never even you know watch your webinar or tune into your YouTube channel. They never even read your blog because they go, yeah, that's not for me. That's not for me. So in a way, it helps to be polarizing in a good way about being really, really clear on your best client, your best work, you know, what they need to be, do, have, what their goals need to be, what their problems are, what their heartaches, headaches, challenges, and gaps are, what their results and outcomes and aspirations are. Then here's how you know you have this nailed, Dave. Someone will go, go to your website and say, Dave, I, I had to call. Because I went to your webpage that describes XYZ service and I felt like you were talking to me. I felt like you wrote that page just for me or just for my company. So now that person is in sync, right? 
Typically, when you have that very clear messaging in all of your marketing before the sales conversation happens, I would say probably six or seven out of 10 are going to be a good fit. And three or four, you're better off throwing back in the ocean. Trust me on this, because you'll get that little spidey sense going, eh, I'm not sure if these people are going to work out. And every single time I've said yes to that kind of client, it has been a big regret. So I would say you can get your audition process up to about 60 or 70%, and then maybe you know 80% of that 60% comes in. So now your overall closing ratio is 50%. 50% closing ratio, you're in the Hall of Fame. Holy yeah. crap. But remember, you've disqualified a whole bunch of people before that's ever happened because the people that are not a fit, ideally, should never even call you. They should never even show up in your world. Yeah, that's so, so uh, true in my experience, right? There's um, the better you represent yourself, the more accurately you represent yourself before you ever have a conversation, um, the better off you're going to be, right? It's the full spectrum of messaging and being right. succinct. Um, and that's hard. It is hard for sure. I mean, partly it's who you are and who you're not. It's partly who your clients are and who your clients are not. I remember, so this, this goes back 20 years, but it's a fun nugget. Uh, Tom Peters, one of the big original management gurus, he wrote In Search of Excellence and some other books, you young kids, you know, look up Tom Peters. You have no idea who he is. But back in the 1990s, there was a Tom Peters page a day calendar. One of those tear off calendars that had a Tom Peters quote for every day of the week. So there were 365 of them. I kept one, I put it up in my office, and it said the following. And this is Tom's words, so people with delicate ears, just cover your ears. He says, choose damn carefully. Choose damn carefully because you are just as much about who your clients are not as who they are. Now, that's kind of a little twisted grammatically, but I'll, I'll repeat it so it really sinks in. Choose damn carefully because you and your company, you are just as much about who your clients are not as about who they are. So are you crystal clear on who is not your client? Which projects are not your projects, right? Which, which individual people are not your people? Because you got to be crystal clear about that just as much as you are on the positive. Well, we like working with this kind of company, this kind of person, this kind of prospect, this kind of project. Great. Who's on the hell no list? We need to make a hell no list. This kind of client, this kind of project, this kind of company, absolutely not. We don't want to touch them with a 10-foot pole. And the more clear you are on the hell no's, the more clear you're going to become on the hell yeses. Mm. That's great. Well, I could go on and on. This is like a, a mini masterclass, David, of, uh, you know, what to do and how to do it. And, you know, clearly the last 20 years, you spent a lot of time, you know, really perfecting this and improving it and becoming a black belt. Um, so it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. Before we go, let's talk a little bit about what you like to do in your personal time. Sure. So my uh, my secret uh, passion, my secret hobby is old school video games. 
So we're talking about Atari and Nintendo and Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Asteroids, Centipedes, Space Invaders. We redid our basement recently, and one of the rooms I call the, uh, the Video Game Retro Lounge. And I've got all the old school home systems in there. The original Atari 2600, the original Nintendo that came out in 1985. I got the PlayStation, the ColecoVision, the Intellivision. And I have them set up to three, t to three different TVs. And you have this little switch box. So you can go from Atari to Nintendo to Intellivision to Xbox all the way up to the current systems and that is the the retro video game lounge in my basement i love it and television was one of my favorites as a kid it, there it, you go it wasn't really highly adopted i don't think but they had a football game on that that was just amazing for its time probably like yes. 1984 85 that came out and it was so far ahead of its time you bet you bet players that actually looked like players instead of little blips yeah and you could run actual plays and i mean there was it was it truly uh it really was able to capture you know the chess match of football which yes. at that time was not something you found so that's right. very cool so what's the best way for people to find you david well, a couple of resources. If you like what you've heard so far, we have some free on-demand training. That's at doitmarketing.com slash webinar. And there's also our 37-page Do It Marketing Manifesto with more rants and ideas and templates and scripts and so forth. And that's at doitmarketing.com slash manifesto. Oh, that's great. I love that you call it a manifesto. It's brilliant. <laughs> and then, of course, you're on LinkedIn as well. I know you've, you've got a... a a strong following and you've done a great job with your podcast and with LinkedIn, um, you know, to, uh, to influence and, and, uh, meet people, which is awesome. Yes, 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 yes. Well, thank you so much, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. Look forward to staying in touch with you. Dave, this was great fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of business black belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show marketing and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.